Today's blank slate is brought to you by audible.com. By now, of course, I trust you know how easy it is to get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash blank slate. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, and MP3 player. Right now, there are some great titles you can find on Audible to go with today's conversation as sort of a companion piece, like Saturday Night Live and American TV, or that great oral history Live from New York, an uncensored history of Saturday Night Live. As always, of course, I will still encourage you to check out my own personal work on Audible as well. The second audiobook in the Sky Castle series, Sky Castle and the Demonic Incident in Chinatown by Andy Mulberry, was actually just released this week, and it's even more fun than the first one. Download your free audiobook today by going to audibletrial.com slash blank slate. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash blank slate for your free audiobook. And now, take it away, me. Welcome to the blank slate. Thanks for pushing play uh, here. Uh, this is weird right now as uh, I'm recording in the middle of the day uh, in lovely beautiful and gray chicago illinois i'm not joined by a mullet or any of the regular cast of characters instead i'm joined over skype by a good friend in la he is splitsiders snl guy he's also a performer at io west and ucbla uh eric voss welcome to the podcast man hey thanks for having me rich good to be talking with you Thanks. You are uh, out there in beautiful L.A. I'm sure the, the, the weather is just as gorgeous as it is out here. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, I don't know if it can stack up to what you're dealing with in Chicago. I mean, we just have to have, you know. Oh, I, I just swatted away a beach ball in the middle of this <laughs> sentence. So if that will give you an idea of what it's like out here. Yeah, I was actually just in the process of plugging in my uh, my sad light as well. So, you know, same oh. same thing. Same thing. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty much the same. <laughs> Uh, and also again, thank you, uh, for doing this, uh, as we're catching you like just hours before you leave the country as well. Yeah, I got, I, I'm a whistleblower and I got the feds knocking <laughs> on my door. So we got to <laughs> make this quick. So, okay. <laughs> well, uh, then let's just get right to it. Um, yeah, kind of wanted to get you on as you've been, um, doing the SNL recaps for Splitsider for how long now? Uh, it's been about four years. Okay, damn. four years or so, and yeah. we uh, just a little bit of background on how we know each other. We went to college together. We were in theater strike force together, uh, the mm-hmm. uh, improv and sketch troupe at UF. Uh, so you know, old college chums, as it were. Yes, we we fought the good fight <laughs> in Florida. <laughs> no, no, there were a lot of good fights to be fought, mainly against yeah. the theater department. But you know, oh sure, sure, that's sure. all in the past. No, the inner office politics in Florida, yeah. <laughs> Real insider baseball for you here. Yeah, um, we can't we can't name names. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, you know, still silver the, the All the records will be out in a few years, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The statute of limitations will be up. <laughs> um. So yeah. So just kind of wanted to talk a little SNL, man, because uh, it's the fortieth fortieth season. It's mm-hmm. uh, been. You know, there's always a lot of eyes on a show like SNL, although uh, I guess according to the ratings, I guess not so much this year for certain episodes. Oh. Yeah, um, it's been down. But that's sort of been television across the board as it is anyway. Yeah, uh, it's it's the old model is kind of dead. Um, and I think, 
you know, uh, I think the reason we've been hearing about uh, lower ratings is just because it's it's a headline. But uh, I think you know SNL is such an evergreen show; it's not going anywhere. As long as Lauren Michaels still wants to do it, it's going to be on the air. Exactly, it's not going anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I kind of at first wanted to sort of start with you know general stuff, just sort of like feelings about this season and everything, but. With kind of everything that's been going on in the news this past week and and uh, and just sort of how, you know, SNL has been able to kind of uh, approach sort of social and political type stuff um, as uh, as we're very familiar with that type of terminology, as that was the name of the improv class that we took in, <laughs> uh, in college. Um, but yeah, like. As someone who, you know, has been watching the show for years and now has been writing about the show for going on four years, what do you feel is sort of like the social and political sort of role that SNL should play as far as like any sort of commentary and everything like that? Because like, you know, with the whole Ferguson and Eric Garner thing Mm -hmm. that's happened and they had a sketch cut that sort of touched on Ferguson and all that stuff. So I don't know. How do you feel that SNL should sort of play a role in that type of thing? Well, uh, I mean, there's a big difference between what they should be doing and uh, what I feel like they are doing. Uh, I don't know. Like, I I think if you look back at SNL's roots uh, when it started in uh, 1975, um, it was very proudly countercultural. You know, you had like uh, uh, the head writer at the time was Sky Michael O'Donohue, and he was just he had this reputation as being this guy who was just trying to shake the established norm and, and trying to make people sweat and trying to make the censors and uh, network execs <laughs> worry about what they're doing. I mean, they had a lot more freedom back then than I mm-hmm. feel like they have now because, like, uh, everyone knows what they are and they didn't necessarily know what they were back in the mid seventies, but um, or when they first started, at least. Uh, but like, he there was a story where he like at one point walked in the writer's room and shook a, a spray paint can and wrote, uh, tried to write danger and spray paint on the wall, of the writer's room, just to, be, to try to like make the writers nervous to be like, this is what we should be doing. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it's, uh, the show's very different now, um, to where they've kind of settled in this routine of like, I think they're just trying to aim for, you know, middle of the road, uh, you know, trying to address, uh, politics without really trying to comment uh, or, or, you know, pick a side. I think they, they just try to like, just try to find what's a humorous angle on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we found a few exceptions to that in recent years. I think when, uh, Sarah Palin was on the vice presidential ticket, uh, in 2008, uh, they very clearly picked a side. Um, but with this, uh, with recent weeks with like the whole Ferguson and, uh, Eric Garner, um, grand jury verdicts coming out. Yeah. Um, I think they've kind of avoided uh, it as much um, as much as possible. They did have um, a cold open this last week, right? Um, the that Al uh, one, yeah, which I felt was like very safe, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and what I think what frustrates me most is like it, it's never been more okay to talk openly about race than yeah. I feel like it is now. Like they, no one's going to. Uh, grill them. I mean, I'm sure there'll be some like conservative blogs and people on Twitter will complain, but it's like, like, I feel like mainstream um, media is kind of like with people like Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert and John Oliver and Key and Peele, like they've kind of made it okay to be uh, liberal (laughs) or to, uh, to have 
uh, speak ab- about these issues with common sense. Uh, and and I think SNL is, I don't know, sometimes I feel like they're a little behind the times. But it's just like, guys, just like, just take a side on this. You know, like, I think people will be with you uh, at the end of the day. Uh, so when I see them make these really safe, cold open choices of just like, someone's just talking to the camera, just pointing out how big a doofus some authority figure is it's mm-hmm. like ah, god we've seen that we've seen that so often from you guys yeah and you can sort of copy and paste that into any situation right um whereas this is more specific and and, and arguably more important on a grander scale do you think i sort of have a little bit of a theory about this do you think it might be sort of related to the uh maturity level might be the wrong word, but just sort of how far along they are in their sort of, uh, uh, sort of comedic career and, and maturity level, I guess I went right back to that. But like in terms of like the creative leadership of the show, just being still sort of like young and a little bit like wet behind the ears. Whereas, you know, you mentioned with the Sarah Palin, uh, uh, you know, era in SNL where they were able to like go out on that limb and even go back to like the, the 2000 election, you know, it had, it, 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 it didn't shy away from anything. It took on these topics and, you know, you look at shows like the daily show and Colbert and they have, you know, this sort of gravitas and sort of mature, more elder statesman type way to look at things. And they can definitively say, yes, this is what it should be and this is what it shouldn't be. Whereas a little bit younger, you're just kind of like, well, all right, let's kind of go this way. Do you think that might have anything mm-hmm. to do with it? Hmm. I don't know if it's, a, if it's a maturity thing. Just I think when it came to stuff like Sarah Palin in the 2000 election with the whole lockbox sketch, uh, I think uh, it was easier for the writers and actors on the show because they were able to identify characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's they're just accustomed to, accustomed to finding – uh, like a hook on a character and how can we play that? Whereas someone like, you know, John Stewart or John Oliver uh, have a little bit more broader range with how they can tackle something. Like they can, they can just do a rant on a subject or they can right, right. Um, play videos of Fox news anchors making asses of themselves. And then that can be their focus. Uh, whereas SNL kind of has to find like a, a scenic context of course. Um, uh, or, or like, if they were to do weekend update jokes, but even then it's only like two liners that they can do. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I don't know. So I also, I also feel like uh, it's with the writers. Part of the reason why they avoid taking a side, I mean, to give them credit is like it, their process. It's like a six week. It's a six day production process to put together an episode and oh, they're just insane. sitting in. Yeah. It's a boiler room where they're trying to just come up with the funniest material possible for table read. Uh, they just want to impress the, you know, 30 or so people who are going to be in the room. Um, and, and so I don't know if they're really thinking about their (laughs) progressive agenda at that point. They're just trying to be like, I just want to get something on the air. (laughs) Uh, right. Which, which I think could also, uh, what more so what I was trying to say was that the, the longer you do it and the more comfortable you get with doing it and, and the more confident you are in being able to get something on the air that you're able to be more confident in sort of how you approach something. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, again, that sort of creative leadership, being able to know that they want to uh, approach this from this very specific point of view. Does that make more sense? Yeah, I guess so. I Someone like um, 
he's not in the writer's room anymore, but Jim Downey was mm-hmm. uh, this longtime writer, and he was the one who wrote the Sarah Palin sketch, and he would often write their political cold opens or anytime they did a debate parody. He also wrote the Lockbox sketch. Um, and he, he was someone who was who had been around on the show since the 70s uh, with Lorne Michaels when it first started. And I don't know, anytime you'd read interviews with them, like, it doesn't really seem like it still seems like it's guesswork for a lot of them. Like when I read interviews with Lauren Michaels, like he kind of has his mythos and his theories and his Mm -hmm. philosophies. But like at the end of the day, it seems like he's still, uh, he's only slightly less clueless about (laughs) how to put a show together than he was when he first started. Yeah. Did you, um, did you listen to the interview he did with Bill Simmons a few weeks ago? Yeah. Yeah. I did. Someone mentioned that he alluded to people who write recaps. So I'm like, oh, I'm listening. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I always love listening to just interviews with anyone who's ever been on SNL and anyone who's on SNL. And as you mentioned, just the process is so insane that when you and again, it's such a high profile show. People are always looking at hell everything under a microscope. But when you familiarize yourself with at least what the process is on the like even if it's a very thin you know view of what you're looking at what the process is it's kind of amazing that for 40 years they can put out at least one funny thing a week yeah oh definitely that's what i you know i I get uh uh uh, criticized sometimes in my reviews on Split Sider for mm-hmm. being too uh, defensive of the show. Um, but that's one thing I try to remind people of um, when uh, when I write these things. It's just like, uh, yeah, yes, the show deserves to be critiqued. Uh, and uh, these are some of the funniest and most talented people uh, in the business working on the show. So, yeah, they should, you know. They, they deserve some scrutiny or I think people like to talk about the show. Um, but like, let's keep in mind that this isn't, you know, this isn't all pre-taped where they have this production schedule where they can lay it out months in advance yeah. or weeks in advance. Like they're putting together like hours, <laughs> hours ahead of time. Um, and yeah, if they can put out like, you know, two to three solid pieces in a week, like to me, that's a, that's something that should be acknowledged and praised. Um, because it's hard. It's hard to do a week. I mean, I, I do know uh, some people in L.A. who do a weekly sketch show. And I've talked to other people who do weekly sketch shows around the country. And, you know, they all kind of uh, – they'll sometimes say, like, oh, if we can do it, SNL should be able to do it. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. Like, I've uh, I've seen some of those weekly sketch shows. They aren't always that great. Yeah. Uh, and it is, it is different when you have all these restrictions on – I mean, you're doing it for live television. Mm-hmm. There's certain songs you can't clear. There's mm-hmm. certain sketches you can't do. Um, you can't, you don't have free reign to do whatever you want. You have narrow windows of time and production that, uh, you can do that you have to work within. Um, well, not and you have a lot of politics that you have to yeah. like weave through. Well, and you mentioned like the production, that is something that will always just floor me. And that never gets any love or shine or anything is, is how amazing, like a lot of these sets are, or just some like, uh, I think you posted on Facebook a few weeks ago the that ten thousandth tweet cut sketch. Mm, yeah, just he, this a huge, elaborate production that they were able to like throw this together. This awesome sketch on the week. Woody Harrels. What's that? Uh, it was just this really elaborate production sketch, and it was really great. Uh, I mean, overall, it was an awesome episode. 
Um, yes. But it was funny to see, like, the sketch that they cut was uh, as good as everything else they did in the show and was better than most of what we've seen from the rest of the season. That's a side note. But uh, uh, it was just... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say it was just crazy that, like, the sketch that they cut is is like way more elaborate and expensive than anything I would be able to put on uh, or other shows would like invest time into the fact that they have these resources where they can pull this stuff off mm-hmm. just for an ex- experiment essentially to, to yeah. see if it will work. Well, and you and ultimately m- not do it. You mentioned this in your recap of the last episode, the uh, James Franco episode that the, like the, the troll bridge uh, sketch uh, that wasn't necessarily great, but it looked amazing, and you know the makeup and the effects and everything. It still just looked like a million bucks. It was it was just you know again just something week to week that at the very least that's always going to be top notch. And it's I, I don't know it's just something to admire. I think it is something that's like funny about the show. Like I just watched the um, James Franco actually did a documentary a couple years ago. Uh, for his NYU um, thesis, film school thesis project, that yeah. was just a documentary like a uh, week following SNL, and uh, and I found it like it was just interesting. You find out a lot of stuff that uh, they don't really cover in interviews or oral histories. And um, one of the things that was the episode was John Malkovich, and uh, and they talked about the jacuzzi sketch, uh, where it was like it was like a parody of jacuzzi uh, but it was in a jacuzzi and it was like this like promo for a new off-Broadway show that John Malkovich was going to be in mm-hmm. and like you hear them talking about it and Lauren's kind of putting together the run order and he's just like oh, we need like one silly stupid sketch in there it's like I guess jacuzzi can be that so I feel like that's part of his process of like we need to have like something that's just stupid and silly and yeah. that we can <laughs> blow a lot of money on props on just so we can <laughs> keep that money in the budget you know uh yeah, I, I I I've been trying to to find uh, where like do you know where that documentary is? Because I've been oh, it's on it, Hulu. It is on Hulu. Yeah, it's free okay. on Hulu. Um, yeah, man. Because that's been on my radar. Just haven't had a chance to to go see that. Um, so yeah, let's just kind of delve into you know sort of the meat and potatoes, just as far as everything that is like I don't know how how have you felt about this season as a whole? Um, I don't. I feel like uh. In that you mentioned that Bill Simmons podcast, uh, and Lauren mentioned this thing, and he's used this metaphor a lot. Um, but uh, where he, I think it was he first mentioned it when he came back uh, to run the show in the '80s after he had left the show, mm-hmm. that he had the ingredients, but he just didn't have the recipe yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's how he described his early years on the show, and that's how I feel like uh, the show is right now. You know, like last season. It was such this transitional phase where like Seth Meyers was on his way out mm-hmm. after like all these other guys had left, and I think he was trying to good place. And they brought in a ton of new cast members, and I felt like they didn't really understand what ingredients they had. They brought in all these uh, all this talent, and I feel like everyone who they had was good, but not all of them were good for the show. And now I feel like the cast is at a place where it's like there's a lot of talent here. Um, I I uh, I like the writers. I think everyone who works on that show is good for that show. I think they're just trying to figure everyone out in the right combinations. And, uh, and I don't know, like it's been kind of hit or miss. Like it's always been uneven, always been inconsistent on the show. But I feel like this season especially has been uh, one week amazing. The next week, like you feel like, okay, they got a hold of it now. Oh, wait, no, they don't. This was a disaster episode, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I like the new cast members. I, I, I think Pete Davidson and Leslie Jones are awesome. 
both uh, have personality and confidence in ways that you don't normally see new cast members to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I I like the kind of cast veterans. I think they're all great. Like I'm just kind of just waiting for the show to figure out how to use everybody so it can kind of get back uh, <laughs> to the at least level of consistency that it's usually able to hit. Do you have a a, 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 a personal favorite cast member right now? Uh, I really like, um, I really like Kate McKinnon a lot. I, I mean, I think everyone, I like AD Bryan a lot too. Um, really, I would say that my like favorite cast member on the show isn't a cast member. I, I like the film crew on the show. I think dude, yes, they're the MVPs, the unsung heroes. Um, uh, the, the whole film crew is run by this guy named Reese Thomas, who's, who's just kind of like. Uh, a really brilliant filmmaker and producer who's been working on the show for like a decade. But then he's got like some of the best people uh, making videos online. They were able to recruit them for the show. These guys, Matt and Oz, mm-hmm. who are this production team who are brilliant. Uh, Sarah Schneider and um, Chris Kelly are writers who came from like a college, college humor and the onion who uh, do a lot of their video stuff and are kind of like writing some of the show's best work right now. And then the good neighbor, guys uh yeah. are are brilliant uh and snl was wise enough to bring all of them on staff um so i feel like the best work i see coming out of snl uh, over the past year or so has been uh, from the film department who would you say is probably the most underrated uh member of the cast or crew at this point um i mean i don't really know all the dynamics of the writer's room so i can't really say uh, cast, who's underrated then. Um, of the cast, um, either underrated or underutilized, whichever you feel. Yeah, I was just saying that one of the things I do uh, for Split Sider is I keep track of cast member screen time, mm-hmm. and uh, I've noticed that this season, like Kate McKinnon, after being such a breakout star last season, um, just hasn't seen as much screen time this season. They haven't really used her as much. Yeah. Um, and so in some ways, I would feel like she's a little underrated, even though I still feel like everyone loves her on that show and viewers still love her. Um, she's someone who I would say is underused, underutilized, uh, for sure. Um, I think, uh, I'd say someone who is underrated, although I don't want to like go as far as to, uh, sing their praises too much, but like, I think someone like Colin Jost is really, uh, uh, I don't want to say like underrated, but I think unfairly attacked, uh, uh, I, he's someone who like, and like, I have a lot of friends who will, uh, who will text me about this and I'll run into and talk about this and people will light up the comment sections. They, they hate this guy. <laughs> they, they think he's terrible, uh, weekend update host and he has no comedic timing and a uh, terrible head writer. And, um, I'll, I'll go as far as to say that I, I don't think he's the best weekend update host. Um, I think they could have gone with a better option, mm-hmm. uh, instead of him, um, I think he's improving. I still don't think he has much chemistry with Michael Che um, or with Cecily Strong last season. Um, but as far as being a head writer goes, I think it's it's a little unfair to attack the guy for being a bad head writer, just because we don't we aren't in those rooms. We don't. Yeah. There's so much that goes into like picking an episode run order that he does not have control over. Right. Um, but he is like anytime there's a good sketch. 
he probably had his hands on it because he's sitting at the table rewriting everything, punching up everything. Uh, he's been working on the show for a while now to where he wouldn't be able to get that job if he didn't know what he was doing. Um, so I don't know. I, I'll, I'll say he's someone who is, uh, who's kind of uh, unfairly attacked. Okay. I uh, have definitely been in that camp. I think on the, I think Tim Anderson and I recorded a little bit uh, at the end of last season, just about SNL and just kind of went off on a Colin Jost rant. And, Mm -hmm. and I've, I'm sort of starting to come around a little bit on him this uh, past season. He he seems to be a little bit more comfortable in the update chair. Um, Mm -hmm. But like you said, the chemistry, especially like this year with him and, and Michael Che just isn't really there. And now right. Michael Che's, I don't know, I, it's, it's still, to me, doesn't seem like he's that comfortable in the chair either. Like, really not that comfortable at all. And well, um, Yeah, and that's what, that's the bigger problem here. Is like, as individuals, they don't have to be that great, but they have to, like, make sense as a team. Yeah. Uh, like, Jimmy Fallon uh, said, I think it was in the oral history or in some interview, he said that, like, before he and Tina Fey took over Weekend Update from um, Colin Quinn, Lauren Michaels approached both of them and said, okay, Jimmy, here's the deal. You're going to be the class clown, goofball who didn't do his homework. Tina's going to be the straight-A student who you're trying to cheat off her test. And that makes total sense. Like, yeah. we saw that from day one. There's a dynamic um, there. Yeah. And there was a dynamic with with uh, Tina and Amy Poehler as mm-hmm. kind of like the the girl power. Women are running the show now. Um, and then with uh, Amy Poehler and Seth Meyers, they just seemed like, you know uh, – grade school friends who grew up across the street from each other, you know, and were yeah. let in on their friendship. Like you could see the dynamic with all three of those people. Um, and it didn't really seem like there was any kind of like uh, a thought that went into putting Colin and Michael Che together. Like there could be something there, mm-hmm. but it didn't seem like they're really playing into it. Yeah. Um, it seems like Colin Joe's still trying to do his best Seth Meyers impression. Mm-hmm. And Michael Chase just trying to be himself, which is fine. Like Michael Chase, super funny, but like as a team, they have to be something like I had, I had proposed at the start of the season that like, there could be something there if they were to tap into like, remember that, uh, Chevy Chase, Richard Pryor word association sketch yes. where it's like, they're both just like walking on eggshells. Yeah. Like there could be something really fun there to like, show white America trying not to say the wrong thing uh, and black America just calling out the bullshit. Like there could be something really fun there that they so rarely really played up. Especially with Jost being as just insanely white bread as he is. Yeah. Being in the, the, so Harvard (laughs) and being in the open with, you know, the firefighters and all that. It's like, uh, come on, dude. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so who, if you had to sort of project over the next 10 years, who would you say from this cast um, would be like the next sort of breakout uh, sort of star sort of on their own? Um, within the next 10 years, I think someone like Cecily Strong is really, really brilliant. Like I'm amazed every week at seeing her skill level and her level of commitment to her character work. Like she has amazing timing, um, which I think everyone has realized. Uh, Cecily, uh, Kate McKinnon is another person too. Uh, Taryn and Killam, I think is just like, is the closest thing we have to being like a, a leading male on the show, like kind of this glue mm-hmm. um, that the show desperately needs right now. Um, 
I think he could be really great. I think all all those people have started to get work and started to blow up in their own little spheres. So I, I think it's just a matter of time before we start to see them um, uh, out on the big screen in different roles. But um, uh, I'm kind of waiting to see from the younger cast members who blows up. Um, we uh, the either the guys from Good Neighbor I think are are really great. Yeah. Beck Bennett is especially someone who seems to like fit in really well in I live sketches as well. You love know, love Beck Bennett. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I I I would say like in within the next few years, some of the older cast members, but yeah, still waiting to see from the younger guys who uh, who can blow up. I'm really glad that you mentioned Cecily too, because man, I really like Cecily and like. You know, yeah, in a way that I would probably make an ass of myself if I saw her at a party, but also in a way that just like, again, she is just incredibly talented and Mm -hmm. she's just exhibits being just a straight up good actress. And and I always will think back to that uh, that dog food sketch with Seth Rogen last season Mm -hmm. that was just it was a performance. Yeah, you don't see at the the, you know in the midst of all the, the cue card staring and, and whatnot. Right. It was, it just stood out so pleasantly. Yeah. It's, it's rare that you see someone who commits that strongly to their uh, roles. Like I think uh, someone like Kristen Wiig or Jan hooks are examples of people who are just like, uh, we're, we're really going to commit to this. And you feel like you saw a strong acting performance uh, from them. Um, my only issue with Cecily is uh and this isn't really on her, but um, you don't really see from her what you saw in Kristen Wiig and that like Kristen really seemed to like and get along with her fellow cast members. Uh, and maybe that didn't start to come about until a couple seasons in. Mm-hmm. But like uh, Cecily Strong strikes me as someone who's such a strong solo act, mm-hmm. you know, like she she kills it. She always hits her mark. But like I don't really see her having fun with like with everyone else and goofing around. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's not, I feel like that's the big problem on SNL right now. That's kind of hard to pin down. It's like, I don't really see, except with the exception of a couple little pockets, like I don't really see this broad chemistry, um, between the cast. Like, I don't know what this cast is. I'm not excited about this cast as a unit. Yeah. Uh, there were, man, this is like five, six years ago. I remember listening to an interview with like, just interviews in general, like Hater and and Sandberg of just, you know, a sketch being, you know, a sketch finishing and them going to commercial and, you know, them coming off and going to the dressing room and, you know, just just the support of just like, you killed it, you killed it. And just sort of, you know, everyone just having that just, you know, positive affirmation of just everyone just telling everyone that they just killed it. And yeah, huh. I can sort of see, I mean, again, everyone still is so sort of just freshly being thrown into this thing that they haven't built that yet. Cause I'm sure most casts like, yeah, have probably experience the same thing and just have to kind of grow into each other. Yeah. And it, it's probably just a matter of time before it happens. Like I said, I think someone like Taron Killam is kind of leading that charge a little bit. You see, mm-hmm. he plays really well with like everyone in the cast. He can, uh, in live sketches, he does really well with Cecily in, uh, in, pre-tape stuff he does he jumps in with the good neighbor kids a lot he'll do like music videos with jay farrow like i he seems like someone who uh is a man of multiple strengths and Mm -hmm. hopefully can be that kind of connective tissue um but i think one thing that like if a lot of people just 
if people haven't really liked the show over the past two years, I think it's just kind of like it really goes to show what the what the show lost when people like Seth Meyers and Bill Hader left. Because I think the two of them were really like connected tissues. Seth Meyers more on the writer's side, mm-hmm. Bill Hader more on the actor's side. Because if you watch this Franco documentary, you see how much those two are really just hanging out with everybody. Yeah. Um, and they're the ones putting in long hours, uh, whereas a lot of the cast members don't necessarily stay up overnight. Um, I don't know if all of our leading cast members are doing that now. Um, I think Taron might be, uh, because I think he still writes a lot of stuff. But um, I don't know if you really have that burning the midnight oil feel with, with the cast like you did um, five years ago. Yeah. Um, speaking of just kind of, you know, branching from, well, branching from writer's room to cast to writers as well. Um, someone that I, I'm still glad that we're seeing pop up every once in a while this season, because as much as I wasn't a fan of him on the cast last season, he again, kind of grew on me much more than Jost did. Uh, but Michael Bryan, mm-hmm. uh, really glad that we're still seeing him pop up in his own sort of, I wouldn't say side projects, but little things here and there. Yeah, he's had, I would argue, say more success. Uh, well, he's definitely had overall more success as a writer on the show than he has as an actor. But in the past season, I feel like he's gotten almost as much airtime as he got last year as a featured <laughs> cast member. But uh, yeah. he, uh, yeah, I think that was always his strength. Like, he was always a great writer on the show. He's always like a darling of the writer's room. But uh uh, even last year, um, when he was in the cast, like if he got airtime, his best sketches were when it was like a short film. Like he did this yeah. uh, thing called like Monster Pals with yes. Seth Rogen, and James yes. Frank was actually in it. It was just this really fun short film where it was like monsters just feeling discriminated against. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite sketches was this uh, commercial for like a bird Bible, <laughs> where it was like it was all the biblical scenes, but rather than illustrations, oh, it was yeah. like with Moses as like a canary or something. <laughs> It was like just this really waspy family trying to like get their son excited for this bird Bible. Yes. And then he played this other character that he uh, he worked on with um, Tim Robinson. And it took him like two months to produce his sketch where he was like a uh, former Chicago cop who is now doing voiceover work for this animated dragon movie. Mm-hmm. Not really knowing too much about him uh, really at all, like when he was just a cast member. Uh, and then moving up to Chicago and people referencing Pat O'Brien uh, as he had to change his name because of, I'm assuming just like SAG stuff. Right. Um, and yeah, already being a famous Pat O'Brien yeah. news guy who did all the Coke, <laughs> all of it. He did all of it. There's all, no all of it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, went down to Miami and just dried that place up. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah. And so just hearing like these legendary tales of Michael Pat O'Brien, uh, able in this sort of new kind of hybrid role that he has uh it, it's definitely a lot easier to see kind of what all the hype was about him and i'm and i'm i'm happy for him really glad yeah. about that well and you know he's like if you've ever seen him improvise like he is he's a really strong performer too yeah. like I, I think it was interesting that the show picked him to be a cast member um just because he's not a big character guy but mm. he plays his roles with good commitment like he's a very strong improviser um, but I think the fact that they're still keeping him on board to like make short films and, and to like make stuff for the show, is just like, it's the, it's a testament to the show of like, you know, you, you can call them out of touch, but like, they're still keeping their ear to the ground of like, uh, in the alternative comedy world, who's 
good? Like who's making good stuff and how can we use them to make funny stuff for SNL? Um, one of the things I've been seeing, I, I, they may have done this last season, but I, I feel like I'm just seeing these this season are they're They're posting sketches that would get cut from dress rehearsal, which yeah. is sort of a new thing. Yeah, it is new. I think it's just now that they're trying to push digital content so much. Um, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's part of the trend of like, we're seeing more, uh, pre-taped stuff too. Like Mm -hmm. I, I did a, um, uh, an article for split cider on this last spring about how we've seen an increase in pre-taped content for the show. Like it used to be like they would do one commercial parody and one, uh, like digital short or some kind of short film or something like that. Now it's like, there's a full third of their material is pre-taped. So it's kind of hard to call it Saturday Night Live anymore if so much of it is pre-taped. Right. Um, but uh, but all their pre-taped content is good, and I think they're they're they. Uh, it's easy for SNL because so much of their content it's like you know four and five minute videos or segments that you can put up on Hulu or Yahoo or YouTube um, and share easily. Um, the Lonely Island with the digital shorts helped like lead that charge. Um, but I think now SNL is always thinking of like, okay, what's ways we can get more hits and uh, get more stuff for the show. Um, I don't know if they air every cut sketch. I, I don't know how that decision's made. Um, a lot of the times, like Splitsider just ran an article about this of like all the stuff that was cut over the past year. And like a lot of the stuff that was cut was better than what we've seen in live shows. So it was interesting to see all that together and be like, Oh wow. I wonder how that decision is made. Or I guess stuff just plays better at dress rehearsal than it does in live broadcast sometimes. Um, kind of changing, uh, kind of pivoting a little bit. I I don't want to get into a conversation about like, you know, how the hosts have been so far, how these upcoming hosts are going to be. I kind of want to get sort of into a more, uh, a fantasy situation as far as like, Mm. if you could have one host, like who would be your all time, drop dead like ideal host like, who would you most want to see that hasn't hosted the show before oh that hasn't that hasn't um colbert i would Ooh. say uh, uh stephen colbert's never hosted it um which i think is crazy and yeah. he, but he would be awesome at it um yeah i think it's uh that was uh, i think split cider did an article about this too like we did a uh, top 10 hosts who have never hosted the show that we want to see and then mm-hmm. top 10 hosts who have who we'd want to see again and i think on our one that have not hosted it. Colbert was on it. The late great Philip Seymour Hoffman was on it. That's not going to happen. Um, there's a couple other people who were like, really? They've never done it? Maybe Anderson Cooper? Um, but yeah, I would say Colbert is probably at the top of my list just because the guy has ex- so much experience doing TV sketch comedy, Second City sketch comedy. Like He can play characters. Yeah. He knows how to work a live audience. He'd be amazing. He can sing. He can dance. He can, you know, he can do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, his schedule is about to fill up pretty soon though so. i know and that's what like we kind of realized now that he's going to be um being a late night host for cbs for the rival network uh, uh nbc's never going to put him on uh snl you know yeah um which you know sucks but hey you know you never know who what what can happen um but you're probably right it'll never happen um <laughs> How do you approach musical guests when writing your recaps? Do you, do you take them into account at all or do you just kind of I pretend they don't exist. <laughs> just well for Split Sider it's all comedy nerds right. who are reading it. Most of them fast forward through the musical guest anyway. Mm-hmm. Um 
And it sucks with when it comes to episodes where the musical guest is so big and takes up such a huge part of the like uh, the Chris Rock episode. I didn't like very much, mm-hmm. but I think part of it was that like Prince was the musical guest and was such a huge part of that. He did that like really long musical yeah. like uh, medley in the middle, and that was almost overshadowed Chris Rock. So it's hard to write about the comedy of the episode. Um, I it's a pet peeve of mine when musical guests pop up in sketches. Um, like last week, Nicki Minaj is in like three or four different sketches. Yeah. It's like, Jesus, why are we putting her in so much? Like, I know she's a huge star, but like, she's not that good. Yeah, um, especially Nicki Minaj isn't exactly that like multi-talented. Right. Like, you know, like someone like with personality, like, you know, when Bruno Mars hosted and and was and performed. You right. Know, it's like, all right, he's got charisma and he can kind of get out there and, you know, sort of hold his own. Or like when Drake did it as well. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like especially when they put someone like Nicki Minaj in there, you just, you just make them stick out. You just cringe. Um, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I've kind of gotten, uh, not as mad about that. I think just last season, there were so many, um, uh, guests, uh, or hosts who were also musical guests. Um, they had, they did it like four or five times last season and like a lot of the time it was successful. So I was okay with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not. I don't write for Pitchfork. I don't know anything about <laughs> like writing about music or rock or anything. You don't want to hear my opinions on on music at all. It well, would just be just laughable. be ready when those two companies merge and you got like Split Fork or whatever. Split Fork. Yeah, uh, that works. <laughs> I can imagine that masthead. Um. So all right, I kind of I don't know. I feel like we've we're kind of running a little bit out of time. I know you got to kind of take off soon here. Um. So I just kind of want to move on from SNL and just kind of see, like, are you watching anything else that is kind of grabbing your attention right now? Dude, I watch everything. Uh, like, I watch too much television. Yeah. I'll say I don't watch a whole lot of comedy, though. Like, I watch, uh, there's a couple comedy shows that I watch. Like, I would watch uh, John I'd say Oliver. there's not that much yeah, to watch. It's, it's kind of gone. I think the only, like, sitcom that I watch I like is Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yes. Um, and Parks and Rec in the mm. couple weeks every year that it's actually on the air. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the only like all the best comedy on TV right now is t- turn into like weird alternative formats. Like uh, I think on Comedy Central they have Nathan for You and Review are mm. two awesome shows that I'm really I into. Freaking love Review. Yeah. The the uh, the first season was brilliant. I can't wait to see what they're doing for the next one. Yeah. Um, um, our mutual friend Katie LeBlanc now mm-hmm. works on Review. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I was super. I was so stoked when I saw that. I was like, "Oh, two awesome things coming together." Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's really great show. Um, I just like now that like networks like Comedy Central are investing in shows that aren't uh, Tosh Point or Crank Anchors or yeah. <laughs> whatever other kind of shows <laughs> they usually put out, or or just like stand up specials or roasts. Jesus Christ, they've done so many roasts on Anchors gave Jim Florentine like six years of of work. Hey, yeah. The, the one good thing to come out of Crank Anchors. <laughs> um, have, you watched, uh, have you watched Friends of the People at all? No, it's one of those sketch shows that I'm trying to get around to. Uh, it's but no, I haven't. really sort of... The first few episodes you know, are kind of crawling a little bit and it's really starting to come into its own. I really like the show a lot. I've heard good things. It's hard for me to 
to like watch sketch shows. I mean, I watch SNL because it's my job, but uh, and I I don't know if it, if I didn't write these recaps, if I would watch it every week, I would probably like tune in sometimes and then watch YouTube clips of everything else. Yeah, that's how I watch Key and Peel. Like, I don't think I ever sit down to watch Key and Peel. No, I just, they're, like, they're a YouTube watch clip clips. show. <laughs> yeah, so it's for sketch shows. It's hard for me to. Like I, it split side to put me on assignment to watch Kroll show, which I really I liked, but it was hard to just sit down and watch, uh, yeah. you know, twenty two minutes of it. You know, like I'm I guess uh, I don't know I'm a child of the digital age. I really liked the the second season of Kroll show too. Like first season, yeah. I was still trying to kind of figure things out. Second season, it really felt like it knew what it was doing. Yeah, a lot of people like bash it because they just don't they get tired of Kroll's like big characters and they mm-hmm. think that's all it is. But like, yeah, I kind of love how in the they started to do this in the first season, but they really did it in the second season of like just kind of expanded this like alternate reality TV universe. Yeah. Uh, and it's amazing how everything connects and it's all it feels like one of those great improv shows where everything just kind of subtly connects and it's mm-hmm. all in the same universe. Mm-hmm. Um, did I see? So right, I kind of like it for that. Did I see right that the uh, third season is going to be its last? Yes. Huh. Uh, yeah. He he did some interview with uh, New York Mag where he just said that like he felt like it run its course and uh, and he doesn't want to just keep it going or have to like reinvent it. Yeah. Uh, and I admire Nick Kroll for that. I, yeah. I wish that all of our uh, entertainers had the same uh, kind of wisdom or the same amount of patience or desire to move on. Or uh, courage to. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like everything it seems to be the model in America of like once you find a hit, let's try to make as much money from it for as long as possible. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to see that kind of uh, evolve. Well, enough about all of these other people. Uh, I want to ask one last thing before we wrap things up. I want to ask something about something that you've recently done uh, called Drug Free in 93. What can you tell me uh. about that? Oh, yeah, it was um, Drug Free 93 is a pilot TV pilot script I wrote that um, I entered into a couple festivals and it won the um, L.A. Comedy Festival screenplay competition, um, which I don't really know how big of a deal that is. Like a lot of these festivals, some are huge, some are not. And it's hard to decipher, you know, how this festival would be different from uh, Slamdance or Sundance or austin film fest but um it's a uh, it, was, it was just a nice little thing it's a i try to write as many like long form scripts as i can every year whether it's a tv script i'm working on a new feature now um because i i write so much sketch and i do so much improv i i you know i'm trying to make this into a living so i, I need to have something uh substantial that i can show um so yeah this was a, a pilot script i wrote this past year and it's just uh the concept of it is it's a it takes place in the year 1993 in Washington DC and it's about a team of uh, like anti-drug activists in an inner city high school who are trying to get everyone to just say no in an era that no one wants to just say no uh, I just got trailed off that's that's my elevator pitch that's that, all you hey. get from me <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect uh yeah that's awesome well Look forward to hearing more about, you know, uh, what happens with that and all the other stuff that you're working on. Um, and yeah, that'll about do it. Um, feel free. Uh, thank you very much for uh, downloading and listening to the blank slate. Uh, you can shoot us an email at blank slate podcast at gmail.com. 
hit us up with your uh, any sort of reactions or other notes, any comments you have on this episode at Blank Slate Pod on Twitter. And uh, also check out our uh, mother site, uh, podswoggle.com, uh, as part of the Podswoggle Network, um, with other podcasts such as Podswoggle, a wrestling podcast with entertainment, uh, Married with Movies, and Picked Up, the newly launched Picked Up. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. You could find uh, me on uh, Twitter, at Rich Cammy, Instagram, at Rich Cammy 4 uh, and that's me. Uh, how about you, Eric? Uh, where can the people find you? And what, uh, if anything, what would you like to plug? Any shows or anything coming up? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at EAVOS uh, or just go on Splitsider. I usually have some kind of post up there, any kind of SNL related post. Um, and um, yeah, you can. I'm part of a sketch group out here in Los Angeles called It Doesn't Have to Be This Way uh, that performs at IOS. And you you can find us on YouTube and see some of the stuff we've put up. And that's how you find me. All right. Sounds great. Well, be sure to check out Eric's uh, SNL recaps every week, except for this upcoming week, correct? No, yeah. I will be out of the country avoiding federal prosecutors. <laughs> well, still, check it out uh, as often as you can anyway. Uh, dude, thank you very much for coming on. Is there anything else uh, that you'd like to leave us with? Any other SNL notes or anything like that? No, I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Cool. Well, thanks for being here. And uh, thank you very much again for downloading and listening. You can go ahead and delete this now. And I always forget how embarrassing this sign-off is that Tim Anderson suggested and we said yes to. Catch us later. (laughs) Yeah, it's terrible. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) This has been a Podswoggle Network production. Visit podswoggle.com for more of that sweet, sweet entertainment.